now for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. For we have come to learn that no preaching of spiritual impact can take place outside of the power of your Holy Spirit. We commit this in all matters into your loving and caring hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I would that you would turn with me in your Bibles once again to Acts chapter 9. And I want to read just a couple of the verses that Pastor Harris has already so eloquently read for us this morning. Verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you would move down to verses 23 and 24, you find these words recorded. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. I want to continue on today in the series of sermons uh, from the book of Acts entitled Saul, a man of destiny and devotion. But I want to use for a subtitle being filled with the spirit, being filled with the spirit. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we uh, last visited Saul in Acts chapter nine, verses 17 and 18, Ananias Remember, the, the messenger of God assured Saul that God had sent him so that he, meaning Saul, would receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember that, don't you? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, as a matter of review, that being filled with the Holy Spirit is somewhat of a different event than having the Holy Spirit take up residence in our lives the moment we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some people call that initial event, baptism, with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. That is when the Holy Spirit immerses us, puts us into the presence and, in, and the family of God. Remember, the moment we repented of our sins and invite the Jesus Christ to come into our lives as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. The moment you are saved, the moment you surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. Certainly, any preaching or any teaching that denies this basic Bible truth is false doctrine. Paul made this matter clear in Romans 8 and 9 when he wrote, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now watch this. Now anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. Paul points out that it is not only impractical, but impossible for one to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and not have the Holy Spirit living in his or her life. Well, why? Well, 
for a couple of reasons. Without the functional work of the Holy Spirit, there can be no manifestations of spiritual gifts. Without the Holy Spirit, there can be no gift of preaching, no gift of teaching, no gift of prophecy, no gift of healing, you know, no gift of service, no gift of faith without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there can be no manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit that are, that's acceptable to God, that love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. These are key components of the Christian life. It's impossible to have spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit without the Holy Spirit in one's life. Paul further emphasizes the reality of the Holy Spirit in the life of everyone who trusts Christ as Savior and Lord in Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 by stating in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. What is the word of truth? Paul says the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and the glory of God? Paul says not only is the Holy Spirit living in everyone who trusts the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross for their salvation, but that the Holy Spirit also guarantees our inheritance until the day of redemption the day of redemption of course meaning that blessed day when we meet Jesus face to face and when we hear his voice say well done now notice verse 17 where Ananias says to Saul God sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the spirit the filling of the Holy Spirit in this text, in this particular text, in this particular context, has to do with the spirit who is already in Saul's life. Are you with me? He's already in Saul's life. But who would at different times in Saul's ministry manifest his power to the point where Saul would be effect be effective in accomplishing all that God called him to accomplish. In other words, the Holy Spirit would be manifest through a super abundance of God's presence and power that would thrust Saul into another level of productivity. In actuality, Saul would not be receiving any more of the Holy Spirit than he already received on the Damascus Road. Remember back in verse 6 when he surrendered his life to Jesus? But what he was about to receive was an acceleration of the Holy Spirit's power that would enable him to effectively accomplish the challenging task that was set before him. Saul had some tasks set before him. He needed the supernatural acceleration of the Holy Spirit to help him to do all God called him to do. Saul was not alone in this matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
the experience of the apostles and of the church throughout the book of Acts demonstrates that there were more, there were numerous times when, when the apostles and the disciples and the people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do what God called them to do. The early believers experienced periodic manifestations of infillings of the Holy Spirit as the needs arose. Christian history reveals that God has faithfully filled obedient believers with his presence and his power in ways that helped them accomplish tasks that were otherwise impossible to accomplish. When you read the stories of missionaries and you read the stories of, of leaders and when you le read the stories of church men and women, laymen who were uh, obedient to God, you will find that there were numerous times in their lives where God filled them with the Holy Spirit so that they would be able to overcome the obstacles in their way and do all that God had called them to do. They needed to be filled with the power and the presence of God. Well, how does it work? In practical terms, what does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like? And, and, and all week long for for, for a week or two now, I've, I've been going over this in my mind, and, and I've been praying and asking God to, to help me make it plain so that we can see what the feeling of the Holy Spirit looks like in the lives yeah. of believers. I came up with three scenarios, but I'm just going to give you two, and I think these, this will help you. Scenario one, say you're driving through the mountains of Tennessee, when you run upon a string of 18-wheelers, now I don't know if you've ever driven through the mountains of Tennessee, but, but, but they have some, some serious mountains, serious mountains. In fact, the mountains are so steep on the downgrade, they have truck runoff paths so that the trucks can gear down, but if they lose their brakes, they can run off the road and, and, and not cause an accident and then move up another gravel hill designed to slow them down, dirt and gravel hill. But say you're driving on one of these steep inclines on the mountains of Tennessee and you run up upon 18-wheelers. These 18-wheelers are moving extremely slow as they grind their way up the mountain. They're carrying a heavy load and, and the mountain is intense. You need to get on your way, but you can't pass these trucks at the rate of speed you're driving. Now, the rate of speed you were driving was okay when there were no trucks in front of you. But now that these trucks are in front of you, you need to get on your way, but you can't do it driving at the rate of speed that you were doing, you were driving. So you check your rear view mirror, you check your side mirror, and then you press down on your accelerator, which sends more gas to your carburetor. Maybe now more gas to your fuel injection, but, but, but more gas to your carburetor. Now your carburetor has some gas in it, but it doesn't have enough gas in it to get you up that hill at a faster rate. A speed, so, so you accelerate, which sends more gas to your carburetor, fuel ejections, which unleashes, get this now, more horsepower under your hood. 
that there's not any new horsepower under your hood. You had the horsepower all along. But when you accelerated, when you accelerated, when you filled your carburetor with more gas, those horses were released and it, it gave you the added power you needed to pass the trucks on the hill. Are you with me? Now, you didn't need extra power unleashed while you were just traveling alone. You didn't need the extra power until these 18 reelers got in your way and you needed to get around them. Well, life sometimes is like that. Sometimes there are obstacles in life. Sometimes there are situations that arise in life. Sometimes there are storms that come up in life. Sometimes there are circumstances that occur in life, even that are outside of our control. Sometimes there's drama and trauma in life. And like those 18-wheelers, sometimes trouble in our way seeks to slow us down or even hold us down or even keep us back. But God fills us with the Holy Spirit. He fills us with that extra unction. He fills us with that power which enables us to get up around the trouble in our way. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Scenario two. If you've ever flown on an airplane, you know that it's one thing for a plane to taxi out on the runway. You know, they push you back from the gate, and, and, and the pilot gives a little bit of uh, pull back on the throttle a little bit, bit and it, it, it taxes down the runway, and, and that's okay. I mean, everything is fine. You ain't really got, you know, a whole lot going on. You're just taxing down the runway. It's, it's smooth sailing. Taxing on the runway to the takeoff position is relatively easy. But now taking off. Getting that plane in the air is a different story. Are you with me? You see, the weight of a commercial airplane ranges from between 100,000 to 800,000 pounds. You don't get that kind of weight up in the air, plus people, plus cargo with taxi speed. Are you with me? Taxing speed is for taxing. Taxing speed is for easy going. Taxing speed is when there is no opposition. Taxing speed is when you really don't need to go that fast or even get up in the air. In fact, taxing speed is for the ground. Taxing speed is all right for, for the runway, but to get that plane up 35,000 to 40,000 feet in the air takes serious acceleration of power. Back in May of 1996, when I was stationed at uh, Spain Dahlem Air Force Base in Germany, I was seated in the back of an F-16 fighter jet. The pilot was a young captain by the name of Terry Burst. And Terry was an Air Force Academy graduate, and I was one of the chaplains, one of his chaplains. And, 
and, and, and Terry uh, took a liking to me and I took a liking to Terry and he made it his point to get his chaplain, his pastor, a ride in the F-16 before I retired. And I made up in my mind that if I was going to ride in the F-16, it had to be with somebody who was saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled. And that was Terry verse. So Terry arranged that, that ride for me, that retirement ride. And I remember vividly as we sat there on the runway at Spangdalem, I could, I could feel the power of that jet as those engines roared beneath the, I mean, just idling, just, just sitting there. You, you could just feel the power, the intensity. I mean, that, it was just kind of like trembling, and, 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 and you could just feel, you could feel the atomic power that was emanating from that F-16 jet. Once we were clear for takeoff, Terry pulled back on the throttle which released that pent-up power, which sent that jet screaming down the runway with power that defied gravity, power that denied the pushback of the wind, and power that allowed us to climb up to cruising altitude. Well, what I learned from that is there are times in life when we need more spiritual force. Times in life when we need more spiritual fortitude. Times in life when we need more spiritual focus. There are times in life when we need more spiritual fervor than we need in the normal, everyday patterns of life. So it is during these times God fills us with the Holy Spirit in order to get us up over the clouds of doubt, get us up over the winds of despair, get us up over thundering despondency, and get us up over lightning sharp dejection. You see, sometimes when we're here sitting on the runway of the church, and we can feel the power. And, and, but when we get out at our workplaces and trouble comes our way, we need God to pull back on the throttle and fill us with power to get up over the trouble that's in our way. Uh, just by point of information, I retired in 96, and, and years later, I began to think about my friend Terry Verts. I was wondering what he was doing. We, we lost contact, and I did, like most of us do. I just Googled him, Verts, V-I-T-Z. I Googled Terry, and, 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 and to my delight, but not to my surprise, Terry was sitting on this picture with an astronaut suit on. He had become an astronaut working for NASA. God is good, I tell you, all the time. 
So it was back in verse 17 when Ananias told Saul that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was not talking about new power. He was talking about pre-existent power personified. When, 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 when we're talking about you being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about new power in your life. We're talking about the pre-existent power that's personified, that's magnified, that's manifested in a way that helps you to accomplish all that God has set before you. All that God has set before you. Why would Paul need pre-existent power personified why would he need to be spirit filled look at verse 22 Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus providing that this Jesus is the Christ that's good stuff that's good preaching that's good teaching that's gratifying that's satisfying that's that's, that's edifying. That's good church stuff. That's good calm water stuff. That's, that, that's, that's like a ship that's trolling through the, the Mediterranean on a nice, warm, sunny day. The water is clear. No waves, no rain, no clouds. Just trolling through. Saul can go home and sleep at night. He can feel good that his presentation of theological doctrine stunned the Jews and left them speechless and hopeless and, and unable to refute his intellectual presentations and practical applications of the gospel. He can feel pretty good about that. That's smooth sailing. That's, that's good stuff. That's smooth. That's, that's silky. That's sleek. That's hallelujah time. That's praise the Lord material. That's taxing down the runway. But notice verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Oh Lord. Why were the Jews so disturbed? Why? Were they full of anger, full of bitterness, full of resentment towards Saul? Several reasons abound. First, they considered him a traitor to their religion, their nation, and their cause. They feared that a shift in Saul's loyalty from them to Jesus Christ would mean them losing their esteem, their recognition, their devotion, and even their lucrative livelihood. That would be too high of a price for prideful, conceited, self-centered, arrogant, and egotistical religious gurus to pay. Secondly, they hated Saul because he was sharper than they were in debates. There was no way they could keep step with him or contend with him as he presented a flawless presentation of the gospel. As a result, his critics felt ashamed, they felt embarrassed, they were inadequate, and since they could not get the best of him spiritually or mentally, they sought to do him harm physically. I'm just trying to show you why he needed to be filled. Anybody walking with me? 
third, these Jewish religious leaders were convicted and threatened by the gospel. The gospel demanded self-denial, the sacrifice of all they were and had to the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel Saul preached demanded that they, as well as all of the people, crown Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It demanded that they worship Jesus as King and not Caesar as the eternal king. There was no getting around it. Battle lines had been drawn in the sand. The enemies of the cross had killed Jesus in an attempt to silence the gospel. Now they sought to kill to kill Saul, and they watched at the gates day and night to find opportunity to kill him. Now the words of Jesus uh, now the words of Jesus to Ananias in verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake comes clearly into focus. Now we should have a better understanding between the smooth sailing of Paul's ministry in verse 22 and the turbulent waters of Paul's ministry where his life is threatened in verse 23. Now we can become come to grips with the importance of Ananias' words to Saul in verse 17, where he says to him, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. And get this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it will be the Spirit's acceleration. Why? Because it will be the Spirit's manifestation. Why? Because it will be the Spirit's exaltation. Why? Because it will be the Spirit's demonstration. Why? Because it will be the Spirit's revelation that will get you through all that you've got to go through. Is there anybody here who has experienced the Spirit in your life getting you through all you need to get through? You were sick. But God filled you with the Holy Spirit to get you through. Trouble on your job, but God filled you with the Holy Spirit to get you through. Trouble in your home, but God filled you with the Holy Spirit to get you through. God fills us, fills us, fills us over and over again to get us through all that we must face. Thank God. Adonai. Told Saul, Saul, the way gets rough, the going gets tough, the hills are sometimes hard to climb, but don't lose heart. God will fill you. Trouble in your way, God will fill you. Doubt in your mind, God will fill you. Sick sometimes, God will fill you up. Likewise with us, whatever mountains we must climb, whatever valleys we must scale, whatever storms we must face, whatever conflict and chaos or confusion we must contend with, whatever trouble in our way, whatever trials confront us, whatever temptation presents themselves to us, God's Holy Spirit will fill us. 
can see us through. What I'm trying to tell you today is the spirit, the spirit of God filling us is not about denomination. But it is about living a life holy, obedient, and acceptable to God. Whereas he fills us with his power and his presence. How I got over, I don't have to look back and wonder. I know it was God's power. God's Holy Spirit will see us through the darkest night. God will fill us to get us through any turbulence or trouble that comes our way. I love how the hymnologist called on the Holy Spirit. He wrote, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh, fall fresh in times of doubt, fall fresh in times of discouragement, fall fresh in times of depression, fall fresh on me, break me, mold me, make me, fill me, spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, fall fresh on our church, fall fresh in our home, fill up. So that we will be effective in all that you've called us 